My name's Thomas McIntyre, and I'm delighted to be joined by former Falkirk, Hearts, Everton, obviously most importantly, Rangers uh, player, Hall of Famer, uh, David, David Weir. David, thanks so much for joining me. No problem. Nice to be here. And so I, I suppose, um, I don't think we're, we're quite out of it yet, so it's still the standing starting question, isn't it? How's COVID-19 and lockdown been, been treating you? Specifically, though, I'm quite interested how it's been treating your current role at Brighton? Yeah, um, it's changed it. Obviously, I do a lot of travelling in my role now. I look after the loan players at Brighton and we've got players all over the world, really. So, um, usually I'm on planes and trains and automobiles and just getting around the world to see the players and watch the games and stuff. But, obviously, in this period, it's been more home-based and more stuff on video. So, a lot of the games stopped for a period of time and then started to get going again. And Germany kind of kept going. And then some other leagues, again, the Championship and English League started again. So it was just keeping in touch with the players and, and um, watching the games and just um, try to help them in whichever way I can, both on and off the field. You know, obviously the the virus affected a lot of things and initial impacts to the players' safety and making sure they're all right um, in terms of where they are and they've got everything they need. And then also from a football standpoint as well, just making sure they, got, they had all they need, needed in that front as well. Yeah, it's quite a, obviously a challenging time anyway, but challenging for players who are particularly younger players who are out in you know foreign countries and maybe uh, you know looking for that kind of grounding back to back to their home club and stuff like that. It's quite an interesting parallel to an extent, I suppose, with you and something I wasn't completely aware of before I started looking at you uh, in depth for this interview. But your transition over to America first. Um, when you're, you know, starting starting out your career, and I'm just, I'm quite interested in the fact that, you know, you go out there really young age, and this would have been, well, it'll be interesting to hear from you, but certainly for the majority of European clubs, this would have been well before there was liaisons and people at clubs to help you bed into a foreign environment and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm wondering what your your take on that was. America further ahead in that type of thing? No, not really. To be honest, I mean, I was thrown at deep end, and obviously the probably the opposite end of where we what, what we try and do with the guys now. And, and, and there is benefit of standing on your own two feet and, um, you know, learning quickly. And, I mean, I, I went to America when I was 18 to try and study and play football because it offered me the chance to do both. And I probably wasn't particularly good at either individually. So could probably couldn't do either back at home. So it just gave me an opportunity to do both and progress um, on both fronts. So I, to put it in context, I'd never been abroad before. I'd never been in a plane before. I'd obviously never been to America before. And I just basically landed in it was St. Louis. But I had to go via New York, Detroit, then St. Louis. And it was still a three-hour drive to where I was going in Indiana. So I had to meet a couple of lads who were on the team who picked me up in St. Louis. I'd never met before. Had a bit of disaster again. A long story with the travel. So it just makes you grow up. And it makes you kind of... Um, become a wee bit more worldly wise and I, I was the opposite of that so very quickly you got to stand on your own two feet whereas now in terms of our guys when they go abroad and go to different places usually they're a wee bit more well versed in that and we obviously support them and whereas back in the day like I said my experience was pretty much get on with it and, and see how you progress fortunately I was surrounded by good people who helped me and um, but 
there was definitely a few um, difficult days and a few difficult calls back home, just kind of, you know, when you're having tough times. But that's the making of you, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Did the did the local players, let's say, since you were coming from, let's say, a, a died the world football country and you're coming from Europe and all that type of thing, did they look to you in a, a slightly different way, expecting you to be further ahead in the progression or to be able to lead that team? And I suppose the second part of that question would be, did that change the way that you went about your game? Is that something that you carried with you through your career? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think we do. I think the Americans, you know, they do sort of think of the British as being sort of where football started, along with some other European countries, obviously. So they do listen, hang off every word you say, and, and they do ask for your opinion in a lot, of, a lot of respects. And I was probably wasn't used to that. And all of a sudden, you go from being, you know, a younger guy to being somebody who they listen to. So... That was beneficial to me, and, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that responsibility, and I enjoyed I was lucky I went to university where the team was good and the football was good, the level was really good. And um, it was just a great level for me at the time, and I really enjoyed that challenge, both, as you say, off the pitch and also on the pitch where it was competitive and um, we had a chance of doing something good and doing something special. So um, they did the value, Jay, they listened to you. It was a very professional environment. It was an amateur environment, but conducting in a professional manner. So... Um, you had to budget your time around but your schoolwork as well as your training and um, all the things that go with that. So it was it was it was tough, but it was great fun. You know, a bunch of 17, 18 to 22, 23 year olds, you know, traveling all over the country. We went, you know, every corner of America. We, you know, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of good times, but and um, we also took the football pretty seriously. So it was a great um, a great start to what turned out to be quite a long football career for me. Yeah, 17 to 22-year-olds driving about America, stopping off playing football. Sounds like there'll be no good stories that you've got <laughs> uh, in your memory there. But uh, I will maybe maybe touch on that at another point in time. But uh, interesting point about amateur, but with professional standards. That's pretty much how we're running this podcast at the moment as well. So I'm, I'm just, I suppose, the final question before I move on and bring you back into, bring you back into Europe. What did you major and minor in? Uh, it was like a broad degree. It was communications with marketing was was my actual degree. And if I'm being honest, the degree, I mean, I've done a lot of education since, I must admit, because it kind of um, it kind of lit the torch paper for me in terms of education. So even at the clubs I've been at, I've done different courses and I've just actually finished my master's now. And, um, at my so I've, I've kind of always had, when I could, try to get a bit of education um, alongside my football. So my initial degree was communications and marketing. and But I've probably got better as I've got older, to be honest, in terms of how I did and how much I applied myself to, to my education. But back in the day, you just tried to get by with a minimum and concentrated on the football. That was kind of our, uh, well, definitely my um, idea around the education at the time. But, I, I mean, I did. I, I got my degree. I, I got a 3.0. It's a different scale there, so it's between... Two's a pass, four's like as high as you can get. So three's pretty decent. So that's where I was. I was I wasn't a great student, but I wasn't a bad one. Well, you take that every take that every day of the week. I look forward to your critique notes um, from a communications point of view on this interview. Uh, once we're <laughs> once we're finished. Long time so, ago, I think they're long gone. <laughs> so I press the fast forward button then, and you're coming back. So just take me into that. Was the expectation for you? Did you want to stay in? America yeah. with the offers there or was it a case of no I desperately want to get back because I want to climb my trade in Europe and stuff like that? 
It was funny, to be honest, because I probably would have said I loved it, like I said, and uh, we were successful, and I'd personally have done well over there as well, so the, the only problem was, you know, bearing in mind, this is back early 90s, there, there was no professional outdoor league at the time, so it was an indoor league they had, and I wasn't suited to indoor football, you know, for obvious reasons, so I played in what was called the Senior Bowl, which was all the best senior players, so the players who were in their last year of eligibility played in the Senior Bowl, and they basically had a draft. We picked the best players, which is the American system for the clubs. But that was never going to float my boat. I didn't want to play five or six, six or six or whatever it was in arenas and stuff. So the only real way that I could be a professional footballer in my eyes of what I consider professional football was to come back to, to the UK. So I wrote to a lot of clubs when I was out there and I got the opportunity to have a few trials um, at different clubs, to be honest, primarily in England. And then my plan was to come back home to Falkirk um, and then get myself fit or in decent shape to go on trial and just kind of try and find a club at whatever level I could. And, and Leeds were one of the clubs that offered me a trial. So that was the one I kind of based my summer around, going to Leeds. And when I came back, you know, you finish in sort of May. The pre-season started back in the day in July and I had a couple of months at home. While I was at home, I was just keeping myself fit. And my dad was actually, I think, just getting sick of having me around the house. So he actually contacted Falkirk, my local club, and said, my son's back home, back home um, a bit of background says, would it be all right to come in and train? I didn't know anything about this. So my dad organised that. One of the scouts at Falkirk remembered me from my school days in Falkirk when I was um, an OK player as well. So he said, yeah, come in. Jim Jeffries obviously authorised it, who was the manager at the time. And I just turned up at Falkirk, basically on a Monday morning with my boots and um, as they started pre-season, which was a wee bit earlier. So I was in the dressing room with the younger lads, so the you know, the scholars and the, the young pros, so similar sort of ages what I'd been used to. And the first team players changed in the home dressing room. We were in the away dressing room and just cracked on. It was a big group because it was pre-season. It was maybe 30 players. And we just started running and, and played a bit of football. And that was just a great environment for me. And, and within a couple of weeks, Jim Jeffries had offered me a contract. So I had the decision to make whether to take that contract to Falkirk or go on trial to the clubs that had had the opportunity to do that down in England. And I just felt like I was really enjoying it. I was surrounded with, I was I had an opportunity to be a professional, so I couldn't really risk giving that up. So I decided to sign the contract with Falkirk. And um, very quickly, well, not very quickly, a couple of months after that, it was, it was in the days where he used to play in the reserves on. So Falkirk were playing Aberdeen, Falkirk in the Premier League, they were playing Aberdeen at Brockville at the time. The reserves would play Pataudry. That's kind of how it so it was, for me, it was brilliant. I was in the reserves to start. I was playing Peter Godfrey, who was a really experienced player. I was um, playing centre-back with Peter Godfrey. And I was having the time of my life. You know, I was earning peanuts, really, in terms of um, football player wages. But I loved every minute of it. And I was getting great experience. And then I think it was September, October, maybe about a month in, um, Falkirk had a couple of injuries. John Hughes and Joe McLaughlin, who were the centre-backs, um, got injured. And that, um, Jim Jeffries threw me in the team against Dundee United for my debut and um, that was me off and running. I never really came out of the team after that and um, so that was me starting. It was just like you say, just getting that opportunity and a wee bit of luck and being in the right place at the right time and um, that was me up and running. So I, I mean, and I'm sure we'll touch on maybe Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown being a slightly different coaching experience that you may be used to from, from your time in the States. But one of the things I really liked about you when you were a player at uh, Everton and Rangers lastly as well, we'll touch on all that, but it also kind of comes out in the in the research. You strike me as the type of person 
you know, going to uh, America, coming back, taking the chance that's in front of you instead of hanging on for leads, then some of the later things. I get the feeling that you've always been fairly comfortable taking the risks because you're betting on your ability. Is it, is it fair to say that you've got that strong belief? I think you've got to, you know, and, and tell, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got, <clears throat> you also got to do what you think's right at the time. I mean, when that American opportunity came up for me, I just knew it was right. It wasn't, a, you know, it's not perfect. It's not on your doorstep, but I just knew it was the right thing for me at the time. And, you know, wind on 20 years, whatever it was, when the Rangers opportunity came up for me, I knew it was the right thing. And then, prior to that, the Everton thing, when I was at Hearts, came up, I knew that was the right thing and I wanted to do it. So I think when I make my mind up, I'm quite um, I'm quite sure about it. I know, I know myself, I think, which is always really important. I think you know what you are yourself and and um, you know what gives you the best chance of being successful. And, and within that as well, I've had opportunities to do other things that I've, I've never felt was quite right. So, and usually your gut instinct, I mean, Walter used to always say that as well. He's, I've heard Walter present and just talking to him and he always talked about, you know, you can have all the theories in the world and do this and that and, you know, the best advice in the world, but ultimately your gut is usually the best way of deciding things and and that was, that's definitely the case with me, you know, your instinct and your gut is usually the um, the one you should follow and, and usually the one that's, that gets you into the right place. Definitely, yeah, wise words to stand by, although I'm beholden to ask, what's the one, as you look back over the the career, What's the one where you think it got away that you should have taken the chance, but maybe you, you didn't? What's the one that keeps you up at night? Um, well, I, I can't even be doing this interview, by the way, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I genuinely couldn't. Uh, I mean, you think talk about leads back in the day at that time, you know, going and doing something like that. But I genuinely wouldn't change anything in my career at all, football wise, in terms of I played for my local team, Falk. I went to America. I'd, Unbelievable experience. Went to some unbelievable places and, you know, met some great people that I'm still, you know, are still my best friends now. Um, I played for my local team, which is was great. I used to go and watch Falkirk when I couldn't get through to watch Rangers or I didn't have the opportunity to get to watch Rangers. So I played for them. I played for Hearts, which was my dad used to go and watch Hearts when he was he was younger and always spoke about the Dave McKay's and people like that. So I got that great experience winning the cup there as well. And doing things like that, and then got the opportunity to play in England, which was a, a dream of mine. Um, Everton, a great club, at eight years there. You know, I couldn't have picked a better club. I genuinely couldn't. So, you know, I've got no regrets there. And then when I'm 36, getting on 37, I get the chance to play for the team I supported. So, and then you throw in a lot of Scotland caps and a World Cup and a UEFA Cup final and European trips with Hearts and Rangers and Everton then. I mean, I, I genuinely wouldn't have changed any of it, you know, and I know I'm not trying to be, um, say it was all great and it was all good and every moment was fantastic because it wasn't. But, you know, I, I genuinely, if I, could, if I could go back and make a different move or make a different choice, then I'm not sure it could have worked out much better. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a certainly a heavy CV. Let's, uh, let's, let's put it that way. So I'm just interested as well, Jim Jeffries, Billy Brown, there's obviously a good relationship there because, you know, We'll come back to them at Hearts as well. But was there a massive change for you? So you'd went out to America. The guys are looking at you as, well, there's this person come from Europe. There's a, you know, a glamour to that. Then you're getting back into Falkirk. Well, this guy's come from America. There's a bit of glamour to you as well. But Jim Jeffries, Billy Bird, I'm just interested in that relationship because it's one that kind of runs through really the, the starting period uh, and into the Hearts period of your, your career. Mm-hmm. What would they like as a partnership, and was it a, a massive difference 
to what you were used to? Um, no, really. Like it was very relaxed. It was. I mean, they were the boss. Don't get me wrong. And I'm, I was always respectful of that throughout my career. The manager's the manager, and managers, you know, God in terms of how how a football club runs. That, that and it was the same at college in America. The coach was the coach, and whatever he said went. Don't get me wrong. You you know, you bend the rules and push the rules as and when. But that was just how I was. So I was very much of the mindset, and so were they. That you had to have fun in your day-to-day work and that usually got you the best results. There had to be discipline, there had to be rules and there had to be things that were done for the benefit of the team. But ultimately it was about enjoying what you were doing, working hard, which is important, being fit and putting the team above yourself. And that it wasn't complicated. You know, if you were told or you were asked to do a certain job, if you didn't do it or you chose to do something else, then you wouldn't bother. That's how Jimmy and Billy operated and, and they were very upfront about telling you there was no... There was no grey areas. It was black and white. This is what we ask you to do. This is what we expect. Just do it. And it was it was very simple. You know, I think now, if anything, and being a coach or having been a coach, we can overcomplicate it and we can try and um, do everything for everybody. Whereas if you get the right people and you give them trust and you give them um, an opportunity, which is often the hardest thing, then usually they repay you if you if you treat them well and. Um, and you've got a good relationship with them and, the, and the, they understand what you want from them, being clear in terms of what you want. And then if they don't do it, then you've got a problem. If they do do it, then, you know, you give them a pat on the back. Yeah, and I, I agree with you from, from the outside. It always seems to me that as football's matured, let's say, more and more responsibility has been taken away from the players because yeah. of all these things that would be done for them and there's teams to do X and teams to do Y for them. Sometimes it's just a case of, like, you need to do your job. You need to come in. Yeah take on board the message and just do the very best you can because that's what you're responsible for. Yeah. So just, I'm interested in some, what, 92 to, to 96, you're in that, you know, Falkirk team, I think it's got 133 appearances or something like that. It struck me, obviously Jim uh, and Billy left uh, prior, prior to you. It looked like Falkirk, and you were maybe a, a signal of this when you were leaving as well. Falkirk were clearly in decline at that point in time. Yeah, I mean, Billy and Jim had overachieved with Falkirk. You know, we were competing at the top end of the table. We beat Celtic, we beat Rangers at Ibrox, you know. And That's not well on that one. <laughs> you know, we, we were a really good team with some really good players. And Billy and Jim had really progressed the club and done well themselves personally and brought a lot of good players to the club. But, you know, me and probably, the, well, mate, I'm not sure about it. Me, I'd stayed too long. I should have moved earlier. There was no doubt about that. And, um Things didn't come off for whatever reason to the you know the things that potentially might have happened and that was frustrating for me and I probably went off track a wee but that was a real dangerous point looking back at my career whereas I could have kind of drifted and ended up at that level or below you know and throughout my career so when Jim and Billy left to go to Hearts that was a perfect opportunity for me to leave they knew me they trusted me they brought me in again they gave me an opportunity which was right for me at the time so I went in an environment I knew. Um, they knew what they were getting and it just worked. So, you know, the, the four years at Falkirk, as you said, Falkirk started to kind of decline a little bit. They changed manager pretty regularly. Um, they couldn't quite, they didn't want Jim and Billy to go. Jim, obviously, um, after a long process, did go. And um, they started to be successful where they were. So it was probably a natural progression for them. And it was, my progression was probably delayed a wee bit, maybe a year or two. I should have left a year or two earlier, but I was enjoying it so much with them that I didn't necessarily want to leave. And then when they left, I genuinely, I probably couldn't wait to leave. And I, 
um, I just the, the right thing never came up. So when they went there, it was a perfect it was a perfect opportunity for me to go and um, have a new challenge. I was still relatively early in my career, you know, three four years in. So I still I was still learning, and I thought that was a good step for me. It wasn't a step too far. It wasn't too big a club, and you know I thought I'd get in the team and play, and I thought the team could be successful as well. Yeah, it's um, you know like you said, making that that progression. Um, and obviously, you know, Jim and Billy and uh, being delighted to beat Hibs to the to the punch as well, obviously chasing you. Am I right in thinking, uh, maybe this is some of the rumour factory, so that both Rangers and Celtic were sniffing around about you at that point as well? Even I don't know if it was Celtic. Rangers definitely were. I know like Rangers had a couple of bids rejected for me, and that, that was really difficult for me at the time. You know, there was a couple, a couple of things going on, and I think Falkirk asked for too much money, and you know, that, that was really difficult for me when I was young because I was really keen to do that for obvious reasons. And there was another couple of things as, as well and in terms of English clubs that I went to Liverpool and, and I was down there for a couple of weeks and never quite that never quite came through. And then there was other clubs I met and spoke to. And it just, you know, we experience you realise that these things don't always happen. But um, it was really disappointing for me at the time. And I probably thought, you know, where's this going to go? Am I going to get to where I want to get to? And then... Um, so that probably set me back, if I'm being honest. So that led to what happened. And as you say, I had opportunities at Hibs and Hearts and Aberdeen at the time. And um, I just felt like Hearts gave me the best opportunity to go and progress and get better and, and be in an environment that would have given me a chance without knowing as much about the other ones as I did about the people at Hearts. Just a, a quick question in that then. So obviously you're saying there that you know, maybe put your back a little bit and it maybe weighed on your, on your mind these things. The disappointment's not coming off. Uh, going to all the pool, the Rangers thing, stuff like that. I'm just wondering, can you tell me if I picked you up wrong here, but what's it like when a player starts to become disengaged from the club? Because it sounds to me as if, certainly for a period there, you were disengaged with the, the back end of the Falkirk relationship. Yeah. What does that look like in a day-to-day? Do you just not train as hard? Do you not go through the walls? Well, you do train as hard and, you, and you, be, you remain professional, but it, it's, hard. it's your relationship with the manager, ultimately. I think that's, you always remain your personal pride and your standards and what you do. But if you've not got that dynamic with the manager, I think it's sometimes you can, that five, 10% can affect you and you can see you're not quite the same player. It doesn't, you don't have that wee extra edge that you need to be your best That you know, that, that certain motivation that kind of gets you, <clears throat> gets you to the level you need to be, to be at your best. So it's not, it's not a conscious thing. A lot of the time you don't try any, any less or you don't, obviously you don't not want to win or, or apply yourself in the right manner. That never leaves you. But I just think, probably unconsciously, you're, you're not quite at your best. And maybe from the outside looking in, play, people can just see that, you know, that edge is missing. And it's a really hard thing to measure and a really hard thing to put your finger on. But um, it's just these fine margins and fine lines and just your mentality within that, I think, that has a real impact on your performance. And, and ultimately, again, that that probably stops you getting to where you want to be because you've maybe not shown yourself to the, you know, to your true level. Yeah, okay. So press the fast forward button again then. You're into hearts, you know, 96 to 99, that's 76 appearances. That hearts team, I think it's probably fair to say, really, really shown. And you've some really, really talented people in there. Um, yeah. You know, the, the Scottish Ronaldinho and Stevie Fulton and stuff like that. Um, and then guys like guys like Neil McCann. It seemed like Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown had built a really good internal culture there. There was everybody was pulling their weight. And I've seen obviously interviews with people like Neil McCann and stuff like that as well. That 
and it came across on the pitch, um, maybe not in the, the game at Ibrox where you, you know, maybe went down to eight men and stuff, stuff like that, which is a crazy game, which is interesting to get your view on that. But it seemed to be that you, you fully believed that you could go and win a lot of stuff in Scotland and by and large, you know, won a few trophies, but I, I, there's a lot there I'm asking, but I'm wondering how sad it was when that team started to get broken up as well. Um, I think, again, to be honest, that to answer your last question first, probably, as the team broke up, it was a natural thing, sort of Colin, Cameron, Neil McCann, myself, um, Gary Locke got injured, unfortunately for him, he would have been another one, Paul Ritchie, you know, the, the younger players probably, you know, were doing well and, well enough that other clubs started to come looking, and we won the cup, which was obviously a big thing for Hearts, because we went into Hearts when Hearts were renowned for being, for not winning things and falling at the final hurdle, and that was you know, what a sort of a big monumental moment winning that cup and, you know, getting that monkey off our back. So that seemed like a natural time to leave for for a lot of people because we'd done what we'd done. But, I mean, we were also very close in the league with Rangers and Celtic um, prior to that as well. So it was a real competitive team, a really good team. And um, without having the, the stats, you know, to hand, you know, throughout the season, we were right in amongst it. We were second a lot of the time. And then I think eventually we finished third, but not by a great margin. And, you know, we generally felt like we had a chance in the league and obviously in the Cups as well. We played Rangers in the Cup, the Gaza final, where he just ran right in the second half and we were very competitive. We, and obviously we beat Rangers in the Cup final as well, which was a great moment for the for the club. So that seemed like the natural time to leave. And I'd been there, as you said, 70-odd games. It feels like longer. And um, I had a great time and a great opportunity. And it was it was real part to be, you know, it was real good to be part of that. And then, but again, like you said, I was 27, 28. So I was probably thinking, right, it's never, never for me to get to England to mm. go to the next stage. And I'd got into the international team in that time. I'd, I'd just been to the World Cup. So I was kind of going in that direction and I was just ready for the next step. So I was, again, Rangers were linked and, you know, there was a couple of conversations about that potentially happen, but never. And, and Walter had gone down to Everton. So when he got in touch and, and that seemed like it, it was a chance of it happening. And I was running out of contract at Hearts. So this was, um, I probably had three or four months left in my contract. So Hearts money was diminishing in terms of what I was valued at. So I was a bit stronger in terms of being able to um, make that happen. So I'd made my mind up I wanted to go. And whenever it came in, I, I really pushed it again to try and to try and get out. And, you know, often that's the case when you know it's the right time to leave. And, you know, sometimes you can do it in the, in the wrong manner and players can, can kind of over-egg that, but I tried to be respectful of Hearts, but also be making them aware that, you know, I thought it was my time to leave, and, you know, I think it worked well for both of us in terms of, you know, the club had been successful, and, and I was probably ready for the next stage. Just a, a question in there, uh, it's just purely because we touched on, you know, your boyhood Rangers fans, stuff like that, and I know, obviously, a, a consummate professional, and you've won the Cup, it's sort of an end of an era for Walter Smith and Rangers, that type of way. Mm-hmm. Being a you know kind of boyhood Rangers fan, and you're looking at the, do you ever, or was there a moment where you're thinking, I've just beaten my boyhood uh, team, and there's their fans of which I'm sort of one trudging away. I'm really not comfortable talking about that day at all, to be honest. With you. But does it flash through your mind, or are you just wrapped up in the moment that you're a professional and you've got your hands on the silverware because that's your job to do that? And I think as soon as you become a professional footballer, and I can only talk about myself, obviously, yeah. Those kind of things go out the window. I've always have and always will be a Rangers fan in terms of when I'm watching a game, I want them to win, and th- that never leaves you. But when you're playing against 
Rangers or Celtic, you want to beat them. It's no, it doesn't matter who you support. You you want to win for yourself. You want to you want to show you're better than the player in your position. You want to win for your teammates and and you know the club you're working for. And you want you want the bonus that's attached to the game as well. Let's be honest. You know we all work for a living, so but there's different dynamics. As soon as you become a professional football player, then you become selfish in terms of your career and your and your nature. Your competitive nature makes you want to win the game and. You know, I, I it makes me laugh when people talk. Oh, he's a Rangers or Celtic fan, and you'll not be trying or whatever. You know, it's just it's just not the case. That, or even managers or coaches or whatever. You want to win every game. You want that for your personal pride. You'll be the same in in terms of what you do. You want to do it as well as you can every time you do it. And, you know, and, and when you're a football player, that that is undoubtedly the case. So it never entered my head that oh, I just wanted to do was win the cup for Hearts. That's genuinely the the reason. And I know, you know, the Rangers players would have been exactly the same, whether they grew up supporting whoever it may be, they they didn't want to win the cup for the for the club they, they played for. That's just the nature of the game and your competitive sort of juices get running with that and that overrides everything in my experience. So I'm wondering then what the conversation looked like and why why Everton? Because I am sure there would have been a couple of clubs down south as well looking at you. Um were there multiple offers offers uh, and then you chose Everton, what sold you on them? It, I mean, there was different opportunities at different times, but it's like I said earlier, it's about you having the power to actually, or you and your advisor, whatever it is, having the power to en- enable it to happen and the, and the likelihood of it happened in terms of suiting both clubs. So Everton came up at the right time, I think, in that regard. And it also, it was it was a natural kind of break at that time. And I kind of forced it with Jim in terms of saying, you know, to, with Jim, I have ultimate respect for him, still have and still speak to him. You know, and, and he's you know been a massive part of my career, but I knew it was the right time to leave. So when I have that conversation with him, it's it's hard for somebody to go back on that, and it's not an easy conversation to have. But I, I'm an I'm an honest person. I couldn't you know I couldn't lie in terms of how I was feeling and what I was thinking and and why why I thought it was the right time to go. So I had that conversation with face to face and and just told him that I wanted to go. I thought it was a great opportunity for me. I might not get many more opportunities to go to England. And I was quite upfront about that. And Jim, he wasn't happy, I can't deny that. But I think he understood. And um, he just wanted it to be fair for the club because his job was to look after the club. And I'd like to think he had a bit of respect for me as a person. But ultimately, his job's going to be the club and doing what's best for the club. So you, so you go into to Everton then, and let's say you're a fully formed centre-back at that point in time. You know, you've been through a couple of different clubs. You've, you've made some difficult decisions. You've, you've got there. I'm wondering what it was like going into that club in terms of the characters in the dressing room. Do, was it a, an easy place to go into or there was obviously lots happening at the club as well? Or was it just a challenging place to be right from the offer? Was there just good times first? No, it was challenging. We were going, I went into a relegation battle, to be honest. That was the situation. And Everton had never been relegated for the Premier League. So straight away, I'm going in sort of February, March time, I think it was. And, and Everton have got to stay in the league. And Walter's taking on this job. It's his first season. There's a lot of things been going on at the club, a lot of things off the field. And um, I probably wasn't aware of that when I joined the club. And then you go in and um, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of negativity about the club. So I went in my first game. We won 5-0 against Middlesbrough. And I'm like, this is easy. This is great. You know, but very quickly, reality kicked in. And um, we were right in the midst of the relegation battle. And we probably were for the season after as well, just by the nature of where we were at that time. There was players coming in, good players coming in. But then, immediately they seemed to go back out. So there was no real stability around about the club. And as a result, you know, 
the club never really progressed. It was the fans are so passionate, the fans care so much about their club, and you know, obviously being in and around the relegation places, you didn't want to be part of the first team to get relegated by Everton. So there was a lot of stress associated with that. But players are players, you know, and I quickly realised that in my career, whether you're at Falkirk or in the Premier League with Everton, people are people. So people treat you how you treat them. And, you know, no matter what they've got or where they've come from, genuinely, people sort of, they judge you on your football abilities and how you are as a person. That's kind of how it works. So I was I was happy with that. I just I was just myself, went in and, and tried to do as well as I could on the training pitch, gave my all in the games and then just tried to be a decent person off the pitch and tried to interact with guys and speak to people and you know and just just be a normal person. And that's very quickly within football you realise that that's the case. If you go in with any kind of baggage or any kind of expectations, then very quickly I think yeah, you can be in a difficult position. Yeah, pretty, pretty wise, wise words for any, any walk of life. I'm interested then about your relationship with Walter at that, that period. So that's probably you know, really cementing um, your relationship with him. And what, he's dealing with a lot of stuff going on in the background as well and you know, circumstances changing at boardroom level on a day-to-day basis from, from what we know. Uh, what was it that he brought to the club? I'm quite interested in terms of that dressing room, in terms of keeping players at your circle. People speak a lot about Walter's man management skills. And it sounds to me as though he gave people the space to just get on with getting the game. I'll deal with yeah. everything else in the background. Yeah, and to be honest, I didn't take much managing. I wasn't difficult to manage, I wouldn't imagine. I'm, for the reasons we just spoke about, I was pretty much get on my job and do the best I could and like to think I could blend into pretty much any dressing room. But within that, you throw in the Gascoins and the Ginolas and the Mark Hugheses and you know John Collinses and Richard Goffs and Marco Matarazzi's, Oliver Decor and, you know, that then there's a different dynamic and that's where Walter was obviously very good in terms of his man management. And I, I mean, I mean, I got to know Walter better obviously later and, you know, at the time I was going in, I was annoyed Walter. Walter was greatest, one of the greatest, if not the greatest Rangers manager ever. He's one of my heroes. So I'm going in to work for him. So I'm, that's my starting point and that's genuinely how I was for the first, well, pretty much the whole time I was there. And, so I, I never had that relationship with him whereby other than manager and player. And um, so that's kind of how it was with me and him. I was I was very respectful of him and Archie and, and the staff and just wanted to do well. And and I was really grateful for the opportunity to get down and play forever. And so that was kind of how my relationship was. But the relationships we had with the people I mentioned, Duncan Ferguson and Kevin Campbell and all the other guys who were there who were probably bigger profiles and bigger personalities and bigger... Um, so it had had to interact with them more and deal with them more and probably more issues with them. Then you know he was he was very good at it. But it was probably and again this is all stuff we found out afterwards. The stuff he was dealing with off the pitch probably made that really difficult to actually be a manager or be a coach as much as he would like to. Because I think he was dealing with things off the field. Everton was a very troubled club at the time. There was a lot of issues in terms of the finances and off off field issues that were impacting the on field issues, and it became a very a very difficult job for him and ultimately left, you know, which for me was um, was a real, real sad day for me in terms of me feeling responsible to a degree for being part of that for him, losing his job at Everton. And I know he's, you know, he knew it was the right club at the wrong time, I think. You know, that was kind of his thoughts um, laterally. And he jumped in probably too quick when he left Rangers. He probably should have had a time out. But um, I felt terrible about that. One of my heroes and 
you know, he's losing his job, and I'm, I felt partly responsible for that. Before I move on to the, the, the Moyes era, then, because obviously you're there, 1997, I, I do have to ask, even though it was on an interim basis, was it surprising to see Duncan Ferguson on the touchline as the manager of Everton? Is that something you ever thought you would see? Yeah, I did. And I know Duncan well, and I still I speak to Duncan you know, regularly. And I, I think he'll be a manager. And if I'm being honest, I thought he had a chance to be manager the last time because of how he did. And like I, I've seen him coach. When I went back to Everton as 23's coach, and Duncan came in the day 18's, he's very good. You know, people got this perception of Duncan as being um, some kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but we've all got that perception. A lot of people have got that perception, but he's very far removed from that. He's got good information. He's very passionate, which is obvious for all to see. And he's got good information. And he's learned for the best. He's been in and around some top, top managers now. So he's had some great experience and he's got some really strong ideas. And he's as good as any as I've seen in the dressing room in terms of motivating people and, and um, also putting his his thoughts into words in terms of what he thinks and what, you want, what he wants you to do and simplifying things as well. So I wasn't surprised. And if anything... He did really, really well. You know, I think he changed the whole dynamic of that club within a week to ten days, which is which is not easy to do. And he got some results when they were really struggling. So, other than Everton, I think back in now in terms of the quality person they brought in, in terms of Carlo Ancelotti, you know, he really can't get much better, bigger than if they weren't able to attract that calibre of person. And I think Duncan would have been in a really strong position to get that job. Yeah, I think it's a, it's sometimes lazy shorthand that people can just take a perception from a, a, a snapshot in time from you know, decades ago, and they use that to inform what they what they think. Uh, he certainly knows his knows his stuff, or he wouldn't have been in that position anyway. So I'm quite interested. Then Walter unfortunately goes out the door, and there's those feelings you're speaking about there in terms of well, I have a let somebody down, and you know we're part of the squad that's led to that. There's obviously all the fires in the background at boardroom level. In comes David Moyes. Is there a sea change immediately, or was it a gradual change of um, coaching, etc., and philosophy from him, or did he change everything overnight? Um, it was pretty. It was pretty quick change, and he was very. I mean, he's very similar, but very different to Walter, if that makes sense. In terms of same in the background, same in terms of you know his beliefs, his fundamentals, in terms of how he should act and what was right and what was wrong. But it was different in terms of how he managed. You know, he was definitely hands on on the field younger and, and coach-driven, whereas Walter was probably more in the background and side of the pitch and come in at times and very good in the dressing room at halftime before games, whereas David Moyes was hands-on all the time. So it was very different in that regard in terms of how they how they worked. And, and he did implement a lot of things. He changed a lot of things in terms of how he wanted to work. He definitely pushed the standards up in terms of what he wanted and what he asked for from the club in terms of how we travelled, where we stayed and things like that. And I think a new manager gets that opportunity. I think you get when you come in, you can strike while the, the iron's still hot. And he was, um, his profile was good. He's, you know, he was he'd knocked back a few jobs in the past. So I think Everton felt they were lucky to get him. And he was obviously very enthusiastic and pushed and pushed and pushed for different things. So the players very quickly realised that, you know, he was going to push things off the pitch and, and we had to respond as well on the pitch. And, I was probably one of the older guard at that time. So it was probably five or six of us who were myself, Kev Coban, Lee Carsley, um, Duncan, I think was there, Kevin Cap, people like that. I'm not sure exactly the dynamics, but it was an older group of players and, and very quickly started to bring in younger, hungrier players that he felt 
you know, needs to come into the group and challenge the older players as well. So that dynamic changed me for always probably perceiving myself as being one of the younger players. I became one of the more senior players. So that became a different challenge for me and um, I enjoyed it. And, you know, you had to, you were definitely out of your comfort zone in that regard as well. And, and he, he shook a few cages, he rattled a few cages. And, um, you know, he obviously there was good and bad in his time at Everton in terms of where we finished in the league. And one or two seasons we had difficult times. And, you know, there was a, an evolution probably that sometimes was revolution as well in terms of how it went about. So it was it was really interesting times, but he was very, very, very good in terms of his coaching and his information. Um, and, you know, he, he impacted the club very quickly and he had very strong beliefs in what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. Yeah, like you say, an evolution you know, on the pitch and more stability off the pitch as well in terms of the boardroom situation and finances of the club as well. It's quite, quite insightful though, when a manager comes in like that and you're going from, let's say, you saw yourself as a younger player to, to an older senior standard setter, if you like, do the managers, or have you seen this in different types of managers? Because I'd imagine it'd go one or two ways. Managers want to come in and they want to be seen as, you know, perceived to be strong. And so they take immediate action against some of these senior players to show that I'm, I'm the, I'm the yeah. man. Or was David Moyes the type to pull you, uh, that group, you know, Kevin Coban, etc., Duncan, aside and say, right, guys, this is what I really need and I need you to buy into that? What, yeah. what did that look like? It was. It was he, he, he had the individual conversations with us all initially just to get our feelings on it and then basically say how he was going to work. And, he, you know, he did involve you and he, he, kind of, he was the boss, as I said, and we were all very respectful of that. But it was very different in terms of how he managed it and, how, and what we were all used to probably. So it was a bit of shake-up and... You know, you had to toe the line because he was the manager and probably sometimes you thought this is no sure about this, but you had to do it because ultimately that was your that was your responsibility and you know that was your job. So it it was a challenge at times and I think you know he'll reflect on that period where he probably went maybe too far too quickly and, and he had to adapt and, and kind of get the buy in the players more. And I think after maybe an initial he had a good initial bit and then a difficult bit and then after that I think it came to you know, a, a sort of medium ground where it worked for everyone and, you know, consistently Everton were doing well then. It consistently Everton were a top eight, six team and, you know, finished in fourth one season above Liverpool, got in the Champions League qualifiers and stuff like that. And and even after that time, we were consistently in the top four or five as well and getting to cup um, semi-finals, finals and things like that. So there was a real stability and a real... He, he had his, you know, his fingerprints all over everything regarding the club and it was a real team and, and club built his identity but it, you know it, like everything it wasn't a straight line there was ups and downs but ultimately where he got it to um, was made the journey um, worth it Did you see some of that mirrored in his short state man you? I think he probably yeah probably at Everton had that difficult time at the start and Bill Kenwright the owner stuck by him and trusted him believed in him and then obviously at Man United he never got the time and um, they changed very quickly. I think it was, you know, within about a year that, that he had there, which is to, to manage a club like that. And there'll be issues saying, oh, he upset this or he didn't do that or whatever by different people. But in that period of time, you're turning around a, a cruise ship. You know, you're not turning around a, a dinghy. You, you've got to, it's got to move in the right, another direction, whether they liked it or not. And there's probably been friction in terms of people who were fighting that as well. And that'd be really difficult. And I'm sure he didn't do everything 100% as he would have liked to have done on reflection, but you need time when you're, when you're a manager, you need time in terms of 
getting your people in, getting your beliefs in and getting the the club and the team going in the direction that you want it to go. And it's not, you know, it's not a quick fix, undoubtedly. So so going in the direction you want to you want to go, so so to speak, you know, we're in 07. Um, I think you've played over 30 odd games for forever at this point. The phone rings and well, take me into that when you, you first hear of Rangers being interested. Did Everton want you to stay on or was this just a pure David uh, David Weir uh, decision to say, right, my time at Everton's over? Um, no, I probably knew my time at Everton was coming to an end. I was, like Everton were signing centre-backs every season and I mean every season when I was there and and I enjoyed that fight. I loved that challenge and I think every club should do that. When your Rangers are doing it now, they're bringing in players and you're challenging the players they've got there and that's how it should be and that's how big clubs operate and Everton were definitely doing that. And the centre-backs were gradually... Get, I don't know if they were getting better or I was getting worse, but <laughs> I felt like the, the fight was getting harder. And I was... I mean, I was 36, I think, when I left Everton. So I was still playing, playing the Premier League regularly, 34, 35, 36. Um, and I had opportunities to leave. And David Moyes said to me, look, I don't want you to leave. You're probably no first choice now. He says, you're welcome here as long as you want to stay here because I think you can help us and I think you'll play. You'll definitely play. You might not play as, as often as you like, but I'm not pushing you out the door. So I had loads of conversations with different clubs, West Brom, Stoke, Birmingham, you know, managers and clubs, and I had opportunities to leave. And I just never came up with anything that, that made me want to leave. I was offered longer contracts, more money, um, you know, throw the kitchen sink at you genuinely. Looking back, it was crazy. And I just says, I'm not ready to leave here. And, you know, I'm not, as I said earlier, my gut instinct told me it wasn't right. <clears throat> so when the phone rang for Walter, and genuinely this is what it was like. I can remember where it was. It was at home. Um, on the couch, my phone rang, it was Walter, David, it's Walter, um, would you like to come to Rangers? That's pretty much how the conversation was, and I was like, I'd love to come. He says, okay, I'll phone your manager, he probably already spoke to him, but he said, I'll phone the manager and we'll see how we go. And the next day, I'd gone into the training ground in Liverpool, I picked up my boots, and that day I was driving up to Glasgow. And that's kind of how it worked. You know, Walter was only in the door a week, I think. I'd obviously gone back to play for him at Scotland previously, so... I'd had an interaction. It wasn't my last interaction. wasn't at Everton, but I had a Scotland. He brought me back into the Scotland team after I'd um, had a couple of years out. So he brought me back in, and I think he was ex- hoping that I could do a similar job at Rangers, just bring a bit of experience. And I was 36 going on 37, and I knew it was the perfect thing for me at the time. I went up on a four or five month contract. I think at the end of the season they just took over my contract um, at Everton. David Moyes says, "Do you want to go?" I says, "I want to go." Um, shook hands. I picked up my boots and that was it. So it's never a bad call to get at that, at that age. And so, yeah, it was, it was a short term initially. Was that discussed? Listen, it's only short term and you're essentially on trial and proving yourself. Or was there always the expectation you would sign a longer deal? And, you know, for being slightly more challenging, when the deal was announced, I think there was a, a large amount of people in the support and the Rangers support that scratched their head a little bit and said, OK, we know David was a good defender, but... Is that a David Weir was a good defender or David Weir can he still be? And I'm just wondering, was that all in your mind? And again, was it just a challenge to not only my signing for, for Rangers and signing again for Walter, but I'm going to show everybody that I've still absolutely got it? I, I, and I wasn't worried about that. I had no doubts about that. Genuinely, I had no doubts. I knew he was a good player. I was still playing the Premier League and um, I'd played, I'm playing against good players week in, week out. It was still playing for my national team so I knew it was good enough I was never worried about that and the noise that goes on around about Rangers 
like we all know how that goes. And if you read everything or worry about everything, then you're you're very quickly in a difficult place. So I I couldn't wait to get my car up the road. I couldn't wait to get my Glasgow. I couldn't wait to get plane. Rangers were struggling at the time. Let's be honest in terms of why were they struggling? All the stuff I'd read was they couldn't have been headers. They couldn't keep clean sheets. They were struggling to to win games. So I'm thinking, well, I can help with that. I'm I'm actually that's probably some of the things I can still do. So lacked experience probably in those areas as well. So I just thought it ticks a lot of boxes for me. It wasn't it rocket science? Um, I was going to work for a manager that I knew would be a good environment. I knew Koiste. I knew some of the players that were there. So I knew I knew it was going to be all right. I, you know, and, and the job at the time was to finish second in the league. Celtic had pretty much won the league. We were fighting with Aberdeen to finish second, which enabled us to get into the Champions League qualifiers. So we went up short term. Well, I went up short term to try and finish second. We did that. Um, we beat Celtic. We had some decent results and we finished pretty strongly. And then all of a sudden we knew coming into the next season, I wasn't expecting a new contract. I'd went up there to the end of the season. There was nothing spoken about, nothing discussed in terms of next year. And I had no expectations. But I knew if I did well, you know, who knows, I might. But if I didn't, I still played for Rangers and I still had six months living the dream. So it was a win-win for me. And then probably... Even that, it was after the season, probably, Walter says, do you fancy doing another year? And genuinely, that's what the conversation's like. And I was like, 100%, if you want me here, I'll be here. And signed the contract, probably reduced my wages again, as Walter usually did. And a feels funny to try and get me on the pitch, but again, that suited me. So it was, the next job was to try and win the league. That's that's how it is at Rangers. That's how you start every season. And we'd made a better mark because we beat Celtic. Um, coming in and now we had to make a bigger mark and you know that next season became an unbelievable season as as we all know in terms of we didn't win the league which ultimately is a failure but we did pretty much everything else oh, I think it's fair to say that you've hit some pretty high marks uh, in that even the Rangers support can forgive forgive the squad for not winning the league uh, that, that particular season um, it's, it's quite interesting because there was a lot of similarities maybe to some of your time at Everton, as there was at Rangers at that time, there was problems behind the scenes and there was problems on the pitch. Some of them you, you referenced there in terms of the defence not being able to marshal itself to, to large degrees mm-hmm. in some games. Uh, and I'm probably being as polite as I could be. I remember shouting it differently from the stands during the games, but let's uh, we'll do, that in a, do that in a later one. I'm just interested then, because again, it goes back to the thread that I was talking about in your career, you know, type of David Weir, the person that you kind of jumps off the page when you're doing the research. That you've always taken, you know, the right but the tough decision. You've always been essentially a leader in the dressing room and the character and somebody that people are looking to. You're coming in at that age, fresh off the Premiership, still, still, you know, got the ability. Was there an immediate look to you in the dressing room to say, right, not only are you coming in and to play games, but you're coming in to marshal that defence? Because it seemed to me that you were always doing that on the pitch as well, talking away to people, leading them through a game. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I was at that stage of my career where that was probably natural for me and normal for me and um, probably Rangers needed that. So that's why I knew, other than uh, being Rangers and you know all the things that associate that with me, I knew it gave me a chance to go and do something. I knew the level would be fine. I knew I could play in, in Scotland at that time. I, knew, I wasn't worried about um, me or, or... And I knew the players that were there. I knew there were some good players there. I mean, Barry was there and you know different players were there. So I know there was a lot of good players there from my time at Scotland. So I knew we should have been doing better than what we were doing. So, and I knew Walter would, he knows the club better than anybody. So I knew he would very quickly give the team a chance. 
So, and they weren't as bad as what probably they looked previously. So I just wanted to be part of that. And what I was asked to do, I could do, which always helps. You know, if you're going in, you're asked to do something you can't do, or you're not confident doing then, then you've got a problem. But I never, I genuinely never felt that, you know, I was going to be asked to do something that I wasn't capable of doing. So very quickly, I went in, I played in the first game, I think it was at Dunfermline. And um, we won one nil. we kept a clean sheet. I played with Carol Svensson at the time. And I'm like, this kid isn't as bad as people say he is. You know, he's okay. He's, he's, he's a decent player. He's maybe had a hard time, but he's not a bad player. So, you know, all of a sudden the picture looked a wee bit brighter. I, I enjoyed it. And all of a sudden I was up and running and um, I just enjoyed everyday training. It was good as it always is with Walter. It was enjoyable. It was hard work. Um, it was competitive. And very quickly I saw there were some players that could help us. And who also, in my opinion, thought there was probably some who, who couldn't and wouldn't be there that long knowing what I knew about Walter, but that's normal, that's football. I think there's definitely some some players, uh, we're not going to list them all, but definitely some players who, who were not able to fill, fill the particular jersey. So before I go into the, the 2000, 2008 season, I just need to ask you, though, you've been through all of that, you're at the latter ends of your career, you've played the Premiership for a long time. What's it like walking through the doors, though, when you go to sign a contract or walking through the doors when you're officially a Rangers player that moment? It's- yeah, but to be honest, a bit like I signed my contract at Murray Park. I think that was kind of how it was. It wasn't a big signing. It wasn't a you know one of them press conferences or anything like that. I went up, signed my contract at Murray Park, and that was it. And I was up and training, and then you know the game was on the Saturday. I can't remember exactly the, the time, but the best things for me as a player and when I was a coach there as well, it was driving up to Ibrox. You know, I can remember going to Ibrox, watching games at Ibrox, and probably getting the train through for Falkirk getting the tube out with my dad to, um, you know, to the stadium, walking up to the stadium. We'd always get there early and watch the bus coming in and watch the players coming off the bus and things like that. And loving that experience. But as a player, obviously, we'd go in early. So we'd drive up to Ibrox and just driving up to Ibrox, is, that's a thrill for me, just actually, you know, bringing the car up, seeing the stadium and then walking through the front door. Or sometimes we'd go in the track. But I love walking through the front door. There's nothing better. There's no better ground in the world in terms of walking through the front door and, and seeing that staircase and and to actually being able to turn right rather than turn left as well as that was a thrill for me. So the very, very basic things and very sort of standard things, but just gave you a great feeling in terms of actually having the opportunity to do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that I did get that opportunity to go and do that and, you know, and be part of, you know, what was a relatively successful time for us there. So, yeah, I try to keep the, the, the jealousy off my face. <laughs> when you were talking about walking in and being able to turn to the dressing rooms. And I imagine as well that one of the capstones of that is pulling on the jersey, old firm game, winning the old firm game. Mm-hmm. And was that just, so you're in a unique position, you've played in a you know, played in a big derby before in terms of Merseyside. I'm not entirely convinced, I mean, I'm not obviously a player, so I'll, I'll go with somebody else's experience here, but I don't think they're naturally comparable. They are, and I, everybody asks you that, you know, or ask me that because I've played in Harps, Hibs, Liverpool, Everton, and um, obviously Rangers and Celtic, what's the biggest? And there's no comparison. Rangers Celtic's the biggest, in my opinion, obviously, and maybe because of my background, it is the biggest game. And, and my experience was the more you played in it, the bigger game it got. So the first one we played at Celtic Park, when Ugo, God rest his soul, scored the goal, that was, it was surreal, you know, because it was just, you, you didn't know what to expect. And then you just kind of, and it's a wow, a wow factor associated with it. And then every game, in my experience, just gets more and more 
tension associated with it. It means more. It's the build-ups longer, the, what it means to use bigger. So that, that was kind of how it worked for me. It just felt like everyone I played in got more significant and more important. And, and I enjoyed that. Don't get me wrong, I was nervous and worried about the games as you got older and, you know, what could go wrong and things like that. But, you know, that, that kind of feeling you had, the, the stress going into it and the elation after it, if it turned out to be great, was, um, you know, it was not, not, not experiences you, you get in many other kind of um, walks of life or, or, or other jobs or um, pastimes. I can only I can only imagine, and uh, respects to Ugo Ekiog uh, as well there. So we go into 2008, and I think you touched on it as well. There were some players in the squad when when you've come in before that that obviously needed turned over, like shall we say, and the culture and the belief of the squad probably needed raised up. People that say in there helping with that type of thing. You go to. I mean, you start with the Champions League run, obviously, beforehand. And I'm just wondering, what's the standout game for you in the, in the group stages uh, of that? And I'm thinking of one in particular, but I'm keen if some, from your side in the dressing room, when did things start to become really real in that Champions League run before getting into the Europa League one? It never became real to be honest. It was such a weird experience. You know, the games obviously stood alone on their own two feet. The, t- the draw was, um, was crazy in terms of the teams we got, in terms of the quality of the teams we were playing against. And, you know, it genuinely probably couldn't have been any tougher, but we were also a good team, and Walter's top manager, so he knows how to set up our team to give us the best chance, so we weren't given much hope, and we started really, really well, and it's hard to pick a game, I mean, you beat Leon 3-0 in Leon. that's an incredible result, you draw with Barcelona at Ibrox, although probably never got out of our own half, and you know, Stuttgart, two amazing games, and then you you lose the last game with Leon, and Benzema just is on a different planet, so like there's so many memories, you know. It's hard to say. Oh, this because they're all fantastic experiences, and you know, at the time you just you just try and do your best. But you know, when you get to my age, you start looking back, and you know, you we actually had the jerseys out, and my kids that know that long ago, and you see the jerseys you've swapped, and you remember the games and things like that, and you go, wow, that was that was special. So they were all great memories, and no, no one stands out any more than others. I mean, playing in the new camp was was crazy. Playing against Messi and Ronaldinho and Thierry and people like that and getting your family able to go and watch the game and, and the Rangers fans get to go to games like that as well. That's that's special, obviously, but that whole season was special in terms of, you know, even going to Bremen and Lisbon and Fiorentina and places like that and then Manchester as well, as well as the all the Rangers Celtic games and all the other tough games you have, you know, so it just was a, every game was a, was an adventure and it just, it was just a cumulative thing that you know what? What a season! What a what a roller coaster ride! And you know, very very close we were to being the best Rangers team ever in terms of you know potentially winning a treble and, and a European trophy. Just falling short, and at the end, unfortunately, not getting much help for um, our institutions probably. But that's another story. So yeah, I might I might, um, I might pick up a question on that one before this uh, before this interview is over. Um, so I I suppose I'm just interested and. In, it's a night that, or it's a day that will live long in the memory for you know, someone my age. You know, I was very lucky enough to be in the stadium in Manchester that that day. Although it wasn't the result we wanted, I, I got to see Rangers in a, in a European final. It lived me for the rest of my life. But I'm I'm just really keen to understand. You go to places like like Bremen, you go to Lisbon and stuff like that, and you know it seemed to be underdog, 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 and then at some point. 
there's going to Nacho sticks this penalty away against Fiorentina. That, that's us. You know, Vieri's not been able to do his job. We, we're going to wait for a cup final. And there must have been a moment within the dressing room where it, it all got real for everybody that you've got your chance to do this. And, you know, for some players, and I appreciate you, you played in Scotland Jersey World Cups, you played in the Premiership, but even for you, that must have been, this is the arguably the biggest moment that anybody will face. You know what? It, it wasn't like that. I, ge- I generally think because we were so wrapped up in the league and obviously there's cup competitions and the European thing, I'm not saying it wasn't important, but it wasn't the real focus. It was almost like a, a bonus. And even initially when we went to Greece, we were thinking this wouldn't be the end of the world if we got knocked out here because we, we want to win the league. That We want to win the league. That's kind of how we were. And, you know, we just kept progressing through. And we're, as you said, we were never favourites and the games were always difficult. But we just managed to sneak through. And even in the semi-final, I don't think it was until after the game we actually realised, like, Jesus, we're in the final here. You know, it kind of crept up on us. It was genuinely that's how I felt, and that's my memories of it. You know, there were some great games along the way, and as you say, you probably think, right, you're going to Bremen, this is going to be difficult, this might be the end, or you're going to Florence, and you're thinking, this is going to be really difficult, there's some good players in Lisbon, and, you know, various other games along the journey. So, I think it was very, very late, as you say. Maybe when Nacho's stepping up to take the penalty, you're going, you know what, we've got a wee chance here. That's kind of how it was, you know, and that's no underselling it. That's just genuinely how that group was. I don't think we got too high or too um, wrapped up in what might happen and just kind of tried to stay in the moment and try to concentrate on what our roles and, and our jobs were. And we never, we, ne- we never got any credit during that run. We were criticised a lot in terms of the way we played. And, and even in the final, I think, from memory, we were a good hour into the game, it was nil-nil and it could have went either way and we weren't playing particularly well but we never played well all season in that competition so it wasn't worrying us and it was such a fine line between success and failure and up to that point we'd came out on the right side of it and ultimately in the final we didn't which is a massive disappointment but we were probably due one to be honest in terms of in a one-off game against a really, really good team you know, they beat Bayern Munich in the same final they weren't bad at all some of the players that played in that team so it was a disappointment, but it was an unbelievable journey. But it crept up to us. That was my feeling. Oh, Zenit were, a, were a, decent, a, decent, uh, a decent crowd. I'm not going to dwell on the, on the final or anything like that. Like you said, it, it didn't go for us and we, and we move on. I'm interested, though, to, to know what the feelings were with the lack of help from, let's say, our governing bodies and, and what it looked like actually actively going out of their way to, to not give any help other than you know, just, being, just being incompetent. Did that filter into the team? It, it was disappointing, I think, and we tried to use it as motivation. We kind of it became obvious quite quickly that we weren't going to get a great deal of help, and you know we weren't going to get dispensation to actually get time to recover and prepare and and be in the best condition, both for the European games and the domestic games. So it became a bit of a race at the end and a bit of a a bit of treadmill, and that was difficult. It wasn't that's not the reason it never happened. You know, we ultimately weren't good enough in the games. What you know, what going on and about it, we couldn't affect and. And we just tried to use it as motivation to try and be as successful as we could. And even after losing the cup final, the UEFA cup final, and no win in the league, and then having to play in a cup final like a couple of days later, you know, that was really, really difficult. And then we we'll go 2 0 up, and then between the South come back, and it's 2 2, and you think, here we go. So that team to get a win out of that game, you know, that says a lot because the boys were basically running on fumes at that, at that stage. And it was a. Um, it was a crazy season for a lot of 
um, a lot of reasons, but ultimately to end it as winners, you know, regardless who you're playing against, regardless of the competition, but to pick a trophy up at the end or another trophy up at the end was, you know, made it all worthwhile. Although it wasn't what ideally we wanted, it was it was at least something. Yeah, I think that that year'll always be remembered fondly by the by the support, though even as you say, but uh, you know, didn't win everything we wanted, but uh, what a ride, what a ride that um, that that journey was. And so, just cycling a couple of specific games that I'm really interested in, and I'm very conscious of your time uh, as well, David. So uh, we'll look to we'll look to wrap up. But I'm really really interested to to get your your um, knowledge and your comments on that St Mirren final where you've got yeah. <laughs> two men sent off. Surely, in your mind or in the dressing room, was it always or in the team, I should say. Was always now nah, we can still beat this mob, or was it a case of we'll be doing well to get out of here with it, with anything? My memory, and this is the genuine truth, is during the game, like we we played in a lot of cup finals, and we didn't play well in many of the cup finals. Genuinely, I don't think that they were our best performances, and it was the same in that game against it. Man, they were the better team, and I I thought the best thing that happened to us was getting a player sent off. I thought we actually got better in the game. As they got, because all of a sudden we went from them probably playing with no fear and thinking, well, if we win, it's a bonus. To us playing, thinking we've got to win this game. If we don't win this game, it's a disaster. And then all of a sudden, the the emphasis switched to them. We get the players sent off, and all of a sudden they're going, oh no, we we've got to win this game. We should win this game now. And then they, we went to nine men, and then that definitely swung in their favour. And all of a sudden they're going, we need to win this game. We should win this game, and that took the pressure off us. And that's very unusual for a Rangers team in a cup final. And I'll never forget Walter getting coming on the touchline because Walter didn't come on the touchline a lot. But he came on the touchline, the jacket's off, and you're thinking, "All right, what a, what a game this is! What an opportunity this is to win!" You know, a game where you're not expected to win. You can just imagine what's going to be written about you and um, run about the game, and and also for the lads that've been sent off there in the dressing room feeling terrible, thinking, you know, we might have cost Rangers the the cup, and you know, a a successful season and, and it'll have a real impact on our season. So there was there was also a feeling of trying to help them out a bit as well. And that was that was part of the process as well. So I felt we got better as the game went on as the game as we got less players. And that might be just my memory playing tricks on me. But within the game, after we scored the goal, which was a great goal, then I never felt like really like we were going to lose it. That was my genuine feeling on the pitch. It might not look like that to you or where you were sitting, but that was my feeling. I felt really confident. Scoring the goals always the hardest thing. That was the hardest thing, but it was a great counter-attack goal with Nasey and, and Kenny Miller. And um, it just, the game just kind of fell into our hands and, and we took the opportunities that came in. And St Mern, I'm sure, although they've won cup final, so I'll not be the end of the world for them, but that was a, a real opportunity miss for them. Uh, I think uh, when you see the goal hitting the the back of the net, or the ball hitting the back of the net, I should say, I think their players just lost any any belief that was still in them because I think they had to get the first goal uh, and then yeah. that would have been it. But, you know, I was doing it. I'm just, you know, keenly interested as well. 2011 League Cup final against, you know, it's an old firm cup final. You'd spoken about, you know, playing the old firms and, you know, what they mean. But it must be absolutely surreal to be a winning Cup finalist in those types of games because they've got so much extra on top of them. Yeah, definitely. And that one in particular, for memory for me, I mean, I'm 41, 40, 41 at the time, so I'm on my last legs, genuinely am. So I'm thinking this might be my last one. 
and I was getting written off as I was every year, but my memory is especially that cup final. So I'm thinking, right, we, we need to win this game. You know what? We really need to win this game. So I'd probably put myself personally under more pressure to win that game as well. So that was a, I mean, that was a real relief to win that one. And the cup finals are unbelievable. There's no other game like it in the world when there's, you know, 50% Rangers, 50% Celtic. And Hamden, in my opinion, it's not the best stadium in the world, but 50-50, Rangers Celtic, what an atmosphere, what an environment, what a, you know, a game to walk out in. And then obviously to win it, <laughs> you win it, you go and pick up the trophy and there's one half of the stadium's full, one half of the stadium's empty. It's just, it's a really surreal experience. But that game itself was probably my career, one of the most pressure putting myself under to win a game and being desperate to win a game. And that that's kind of my memory of that game. I can't remember too much about the details, to be honest, in terms of how the game went. I remember the start of the game and I remember the end of the game. <laughs> and I remember feeling at the end and lifting the cup, obviously, and, and what that meant. But it just, you know, just personally putting yourself under pressure to try and be successful and knowing what the game meant both to your club, but also you individually and your family and all the rest of it was um, a really special feeling when that final whistle went and you managed to win it. I uh, just uh, interesting there. I, I remember, you know, every year there would be some column uh, in a newspaper or several saying, "Well, this will this will be David Weir. You know, David Weir will get absolutely shown up this this time. He'll get run mm-hmm. rings round. His legs have gone and all that. And you know, you're still winning trophies at that. You know, forty forty one. So if I press the fast forward button again, then really quickly, you've went out of the, the club. What's it like coming back though when you're assistant manager? I mean, I'm really interested. Yeah. I spoke to Mark Warburton a couple of months ago and did an interview uh-huh. with him. But yeah. interesting to get your view on some of that. I was excited. You know, I know I'd been at the playoff game against Motherwell. I did the TV for BT for the Motherwell game, so I seen that game and it was obviously really disappointing for Rangers. So I knew like Rangers were in a bit of crisis. It wasn't great and it was a difficult time. So, um, you know, when Mark got offered the job, then. I thought it was a really exciting prospect. I knew there was a lot of work had to be done, but I also knew what potentially Rangers could be. I also knew where they were because I'd seen that game and others. But I knew there was a lot of work to be done. But knowing Mark, I knew he would do the work and I knew he would, you know, he'd go in with his eyes open and he was capable of doing it. So I thought it was really, really exciting. And um, when Mark decided to take the job, obviously I wanted to support him and I wanted to help him. And I tried to give them as much information as I could about, you know, what I knew and, and what I thought would help us. And um, I was just really, really excited with the chance of building something. And, you know, I knew we were a long way away from where we wanted to be, particularly in terms of catch and Celtic and, you know, and what what they'd done in the meantime and where Rangers had been. So, but ultimately, overall, it was exciting. I was, you know, getting an opportunity to go back to Rangers after, you know, having a great time there in the past. Yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd spoken to Mark and uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn there um, when I say I think he was still surprised by the level of um, Coventry, let's say, roundabout um, Rangers and the management and the team and all that, particularly when things didn't go exactly to plan. So when you come back yeah. up into the into the Premier League. We get to the, the cup final, though. We get the cup final against, against Hibs and I know that's before we come back up, but He'd been mentioning that he was looking about the, the squad in the hotel the night before the game. And yes, they, they were calm. But once they got out in the pitch, he felt that they, that squad was running on fumes as well. Yeah. And that's yeah. quite an interesting... It was an, an interesting kind of 
commentary from him on that. And certainly some of the listeners had, had come back to me and said, well, why wasn't that freshened up then? And so realising that squad's only so big and you've only got so many starters. Was that something you were feeling as well, that when you're watching them, these boys are running out of fumes? Well, I wouldn't say running out of fumes. I mean, I thought, and Hibs deserve to win the game on the day, in my opinion. You know, And a cup final can be like that. We've, I've played in lots of cup finals with Rangers, and it's very fine lines, and ultimately you've got to find a way to win the game. That's how it goes, and there'll be two and four within the game. And there was within that game. And... Um, the, the problem for us going into the game was we had three-week break, break between the end of the season and the cup final. That was a problem for us. So we had to try and manage that time and try and remain as competitive and ready for that game as we could. Hibs were still playing in the playoffs, which ultimately they you know, they, they didn't, they weren't successful. And so that was a real negative for them. That was a real hammer blow for them. So you've got to give them credit from for reacting to that as well. But we, um, we had that period of time where we couldn't really get any games. Everybody in England was still playing. The Scottish teams, it's difficult, the Premier League were still playing, so you couldn't really get opposition, we had to go to Tottenham and play like a reserve team almost, which wasn't quite the right thing, but that was only part of it, ultimately on the day, we never played well, what are the reasons, whether we were running on fumes, whether we weren't prepared enough, whether we just weren't good enough, I don't know, but it was it was incredibly disappointing the way we lost it, obviously in the last 10 minutes to, to lose two goals to set pieces, which is something that you should have a degree of control over and, um, you know, always makes it that that much worse. There's never a good way to lose a cup final. And it was a real it was a real disappointment your last game of the season. After a, a really exciting season, a really good season, to, to end it on a, on a low was um, was really disappointing. But it's how you react and you've got to try and react positively and you've got to deal with that and you've got to take the criticism that comes your way. Comes your way. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know a lot's been you know, written and spoken about when you know came back up into the Premier League and going for fifty-five and the banners and the expectations and weight mm-hmm. um, on you guys as well, and then some of the the signings which you know maybe didn't quite make complete sense to the to the support. Mm-hmm. I'm keen though you get to that stage where it's not working. Um, or rather, the, the plan doesn't seem to be to be working, and I appreciate there was a there was a plan to go year on year to get closer and closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Celtic, for example, had spent a lot of money as well and, and moved further. But in terms of it coming towards an end, was that an expectation, or you know, because obviously a lot was written at the time when you you guys were no longer managing the club. Does that leave a, a bitter taste in the mouth, or was it just all very surprising considering a plan had been sold to the board and the plan was we need to do a couple of years cycle? Yeah, but I mean, I'm never surprised when in football, genuinely, I'm not. And I didn't feel it was coming to an end. I think we, like Mark and I, work together at different clubs and we'll, we'll always try and do the right thing. And undoubtedly, we made mistakes and we talk about signings. And, but you go into the signings with the right intentions. And our, you know, with some of the signings, our intention was to get some experience get a, a degree of toughness about the team because we felt we needed that, we felt we were lacking a wee bit in that in terms of stepping up, but ultimately the biggest um, difference was Celtic the Celtic team we played in the semi-final and the Celtic team that were in the league were two different teams they were completely different proposition Brendan had revitalised them he'd, you know, he turned players who were who were performing averagely and uh, very, very good players very quickly so all of a sudden Celtic had set the bar really, really high and we, we had made some good signings which get forgotten, some signs which never worked, which is always the case. But 
we had a really high bar to catch and Rangers fans' expectation is to win the league and whether that's because of the banners or not, that's always the expectations I've talked about my career. When I came to Rangers, that, that's, you've got to deal with that. That's not going to change. So we didn't deal with it well enough or the club didn't deal with it well enough. And ultimately, my, my genuine belief is we would finish second in the, season, in the league that season. And I, you know, I, w- I would still argue with Andy on that. And I felt that's where we should finish that season. What the gap was, was a big number with Celtic. And I get that. I understand why people would be upset with that. But I'm not sure we could have done a great deal more on that in terms of how good they were. They were undefeated. They had some really, really good players. And they had a level of consistency that was had started what they've done for the last three or four years, I feel. So that momentum that they gained has kept going. And we never quite got that momentum. We were very stop and start. And we had to change the team again. There's no doubt about that. We'd, we'd had some issues and things hadn't quite worked out as we'd planned. But we'd gone in with the right intentions. It hadn't worked. So we had to adjust to that. And it, it never really got to that stage because, you know, there was a decision made to, to make a change. And that's football. That's what happens. You know, when you're in management, um, as a coach, a manager, whatever, that's what happens. And it's happened to me before at clubs and I'm sure it'll happen to me again and I think all managers are um, understanding of that but as we said previously you know, getting time at a football club is fundamental, Steven Gerrard looks like he's getting time, he's not had any trophies in his first couple of years but you can see this progression, is it where the Rangers fans will want to be? Probably not but you can see it's going the right direction and, and it looks like he's getting the time to build a team and a method and a and a kind of stability within the club that will enable success because success takes time. And you don't always get that in football and understand that because there's a lot of noises outside, and especially in Scotland, and it's doubly especially in Glasgow. But you know what? Things happen, you move on. I'm, I'm a Rangers fan. I wouldn't change it for the world, both in terms of coaching and playing. And I wish the club success. I wish it had ended better, but it didn't. So you know what? Move on. That's, it is what it is. You can't change the past, but you can... You know, hopefully it can affect the future a wee bit and you know, hopefully the Rangers get start get back to winning leagues and winning cups and some of the players that are there now will get some of the great memories that, that I've had personally as well, both you know, as a coach and as a player. Yeah, I think we, we can all absolutely get behind that and like I said, I don't want to dwell on that particular part but just one question on it. Mm-hmm. Do you think there could have been a clearer message from the club in terms of, because I remember there being a lot of discussion in the back pages, let's say, of who had walked what, yeah. what you know, you guys had wanted, and I, you know, I feel that the message was slightly mixed in terms of did you guys give up and want to go somewhere else versus no, we, we never, want to be here. Never gave up. That's that's just not like I never resigned. Why would I resign for Rangers? But I've just that's incredible. And like, so why I do believe that we it, it's done and dusted. It's in the past. Like we never we never resigned. Why would we resign? The first time I was out for dinner with Lee McCullough. And I get an email, or I get a call from Mark saying, I've just received an email saying I've resigned. And that that was my introduction. I went home, I um, turned on Sky and it says, Mark Warburton's resigned as Rangers manager. And if you resign, there's a letter or there's a conversation or there's a, you know, there's some instance where you resign. How, you know, how can, I've never seen that and I've certainly never done it or wrote it or sent it. So it just didn't happen. So I'm not sure why it was played out that way, but it was, and ultimately, you can go to court and you can make a bigger deal with it. Or as I said, you can draw a line in the stand and say, look, you know what, I'm, it is what it is. Let's move on and see what happens next. 
well, taking taking that as, as good as good advice, uh, I'll move on and you know, fin- final uh, couple of questions from me, uh, David, because you've been more than generous with your time. It has to be said. Uh, so, battery's running out my laptop here, so mate. Right. Well, that's that's a good warning for me. I'll definitely get to I'll definitely get it then. But I'm just um, you know, the season's kicked off, and so we've got um, you know, we've got a one nil win at Pataudry just the other day. I don't know if you if you watched the game or anything. Yeah. That- well, I'm just wondering from your perspective, and I'll, I'll ask you about you know uh, performance of the team and all that. But you would have been about Brighton. I'm wondering seeing Connor Goldson and Leon Balogun in there. Um, certainly, Balogun looks like a really good pickup from Wigan for for a free. Uh, did they start to look like a, a centre back pairing that you could, you know, what's your opinions of of that? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a good mix. I mean, Leon was in my group last season in terms of a loan player from Brighton. So I saw a lot of Leon at Wigan and they transformed their season. And people will say, oh, Wigan aren't a big club and Rangers are a bigger club. But Leon transformed their season. He kept them up, in my opinion. He just settled the whole team down. And, you know, I, I saw that. And he's got a great reputation at Brighton as well in terms of um, a person and a player. So I think he's a really, really good fit for Rangers in terms of um, his attributes and him as a person, I think he'll calm people down around about him, which is obviously really important at Rangers a lot of the time. So I watched the game. I thought he did really well. I think it was a really brave decision to play him. And I think ultimately it was the right decision. He's been playing. He's obviously confident. The manager got a good feel for him when he's came into the building. And I think, you know, the, the team looked solid. I've got to be honest, it looked like a, a really easy win for Rangers at Aberdeen. It comfortable, although it was 1-0. I felt they were comfortable in the game, really comfortable. There's a chance for Aberdeen towards the end, obviously. And, you know, when you're 1-0, you can always lose a game. But it's very unusual to go up there and get a game like that where you're so much in control. So I thought that was really positive. And I think Leon was part of that. But I thought the whole team were um, were pretty strong, were pretty consistent in how they played. And I think they set a good marker down for the, the remainder of the season. And I think Leon and Connor will be, you know, along with the competition will be, you know, th- there's some good good opportunities and some good um, pairings in there and I'm sure there'll be a few twists and turns throughout the season but Leon will definitely contribute no doubt. Yeah I agree with I agree with all that and I, I thought it was a pretty routine one as well. I always get the feeling that I mean there's like a couple of extra gears that they could have moved into if they if they were under pressure but th- there was no pressure from Aberdeen really um, missing obviously their two main strikers through through injury. So final final question then because I said I would I would get to it. I know you're doing work with uh, obviously the lone players at Brighton you've referenced that a couple of times but can we expect yeah. to see David Weir back on the back on the touchline sometime soon? Um, I, I would never say never genuinely I wouldn't but I, I love the role I'm doing I love the club I'm at it's a really good club it's a really stable club um, I like the culture of the club I like I work with Dan Ashworth who's a sporting director who gives me responsibility to get on my role and I'm really involved with the players we've got good players so they're playing at a good level they're young players, which I enjoy working with young players. I enjoy trying to help young players. And it ticks a lot of boxes in terms of what where I am right now in my life. Will I ever be a coach or a manager or you know involved at that level again? I really don't know. I may well be. I'm no, it's no eating me up inside. I'm no desperate to go do it because I genuinely enjoy doing what I'm doing. I enjoy... Um, my kind of my work life balance and enjoy this the sort of pressure of putting myself to be good at what I do. So um I don't know if I really answered your question there, but that's, that's kind of from that. But when they rule it out, definitely not because I, I love football and I love being involved. But what that what that actual role is, 
who knows, and football changes very quickly, as we've discussed, you know, on numerous occasions here through this conversation. So who knows what's next and, and when that will be. Well, we look forward to seeing whatever that ends up looking like. And it uh, falls to me then to say, you know, this has been, this is Ibrox, Abby Toy McIntyre, and from a classy centre-back to a classy interviewee, uh, David, thank you so much for your time. No, I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. And thanks for asking me on.